This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast, where host Amber Cullum and her guests delve into hard truths and the unwavering grace of God while journeying in the kingdom of God here on earth. Listen every week at graceenoughpodcast.com or on your favorite listening app. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table, where we discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Mikel Del Rosario, Cultural Engagement Manager here at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And our topic on The Table Podcast today is helping students engage faith and culture. And my guest on the show today, coming to us from sunshiny California, is that correct? It's Brett Kunkel. Yes, it is very sunshiny right now. <laughs> In fact, it should be a beach day, but oh, uh, man. but I sacrifice for you, Mikel. Well, I appreciate that. You're in SoCal, right? Yeah, we're in uh, Orange County, kind of the heart of Southern California. All right. Yep. Our old stomping grounds. Uh, did ministry there in Orange County, a little Saigon area, lots of time on Huntington Beach, Disneyland. So I appreciate your sacrifice. <laughs> Any for, anything for the uh, Lord's kingdom, right? <laughs> That's right. Well, Brett is the founder of Maven, and uh, but Brett, I actually first learned about your ministry through your time at Stand to Reason, working with Greg Kokel. So tell us how you got uh, into working with youth and apologetics, and then eventually into uh, launching Maven. Yeah, well, I... Um... I got, I was able to be raised in the church. My parents, my dad was a marginal Lutheran, wasn't a believer growing up. My mom is Vietnamese. She was culturally Buddhist. They got married and um, didn't go to church, weren't believers. And then uh, when I was 10 months old, they got saved. So uh, they were on fire for the Lord, raised me in the church and uh, me and my brothers. And so I had just some really healthy experiences growing up in the church and um, had a youth pastor when I was in eighth grade who I met, who was a very uh, huge mentor in my life. And he really discipled me right into youth ministry. So I, you know, as a junior in high school, I was, you know, I had made a decision to to go into full-time vocational ministry. And um, I, and so I was doing stuff with with youth, did a couple internships, but it was my freshman year in college that I, I, I went to a community college in Southern California, took a philosophy 101 class, and that's where I met Dr. David Lane. And he proceeded over the course of that semester to dismantle my faith. Hmm. And so just sent me on this major episode of doubt and asking questions. And that's really when I discovered kind of the, the life of the mind I discovered apologetics and it helped take that season of doubt and rebuild my faith into a much stronger faith. Hmm. And I just thought is going into youth work. Uh, okay. The kids that I'm mentoring and, and discipling and leading as a, a junior high pastor at the time, these kids in four or five years are going to be in the same situation I was. Yeah. And I had grown up for the first 18 years of my life in the church and had not got the training and the preparation I needed to uh, encounter someone like David Lane. And uh, so I thought, gosh, our young people need this. And so I just started 
teaching apologetics to junior hires when I was a junior mm-hmm. high pastor mm-hmm. at my uh, church. And, and just through about 11 years in local church ministry, doing high school ministry, doing junior high ministry, doing college ministry, just saw the vital need. And then eventually joined up with uh, my friends at Stand to Reason and spent 14 years there as a student impact director, really uh, pouring into uh, youth, youth ministry, parents, and then eventually three years ago launched uh, Launch Maven hmm. um, to even expand that work. So that's mm-hmm. kind of how I got into this. Wow. So you understand the uh, the importance of translation where you're taking uh, a William Lane Craig book and, uh, you know, bringing it down to where it can help anyone in the church, especially we're talking about students, even down to junior high. Um, such an important, an important ministry. So tell us about the different things that Maven does. Well, we have three specific things that we do. One is our virtual training. So there are different uh, things that we do along those lines, like live stream events on our YouTube channel or our Facebook page. Uh, One of the central pieces is our Maven Parent Podcast. Uh, because what we are finding is that so many parents just feel Mm ill-equipped to parent in such a secular culture. And there are just so many challenges that are coming at them so fast and so furious. So we, my wife and I do this Maven Parent podcast uh, weekly where we're trying to help really give parents a um, maybe a worldview approach to parenting, you could call it, mm-hmm. where it's not just the here are the three practical steps to you know discipline your kid or here are the you know three practical things to help your kid um you know navigate doubt or something like that the the practical stuff is good but what we try to do is wed the ideas or the world view with the practical and so we want to think carefully about these challenges about the nature of parenting about the nature of humanity and let our theology our christian worldview our scripture really inform uh, how we how we parent how we even view the whole enterprise of parenting so mm-hmm. the the podcast is a huge part of our virtual training uh, then we we do some live events we have an annual maven conference for adults in southern california every year uh, we have a, a student conference as well that we've partnered uh, with uh, some with some churches on and uh, so those are our live events. Of course, my wife and I speak as well. So uh, there's that. And then the third thing that we do is what we call immersive experiences. And we have three immersive experiences that we do through Maven for high school and college students. And uh, we have an apologetics trip, a biblical trip, and then a worldview trip. And we take each of those categories and we create this live experience for students where it's no longer just sitting in a classroom or reading a book, it's now taking this, this content, this truth, and seeing how it works out in real life. So when we go to, let's say, uh, Berkeley, for instance, when we do our apologetics immersive experience, mm-hmm. we will bring out atheists to challenge kids' faith so they learn how to deal with those challenges. We will go onto UC Berkeley's campus and they'll talk to skeptical Berkeley students about you know, uh, moral issues, religious issues, spiritual issues. And, and we just put them in all kinds of situations where they get challenged and they, they get motivated to mm-hmm. really know what they believe, why they believe believe it and why it matters. And so Mm -hmm. that's a huge part of what we do at Maven. 
That's awesome. Yeah, we can talk a little bit more about those trips in a minute. Um, but the, the people listening to this podcast are just the people that you had mentioned. So not only pastors, youth pastors who are training students, uh, helping them to be equipped to talk about their faith with people who see Christianity differently, but also parents, um, grandparents, uh, you know, anybody really who has uh, an influence on a child, a young person in their life, which which arguably is almost everybody uh, who knows, knows a teenager, knows a young person um, and can really benefit from uh, the ministry that you do and from, from what we're going to talk about. So we've heard about these trips uh, quite a lot on the table, actually. We've uh, heard Sean McDowell talk about them. We've heard Jay Warner Wallace, Jim, talk about them. And, and each of them was like, if you haven't had Brett on the show yet, you need to have Brett on the show. <laughs> and, uh, and I've been trying to get Brett on the show, so I'm glad you're here today. But you mentioned how just what a motivating thing this is for the students. Is that the key, you think, to get students motivated to learn to uh, dive into these tough questions is actually to put them in those those real life everyday conversations with skeptics? Yeah, I think that's part of the key, especially when they are high school students. Hmm. Um, you know, I, as I think about just the nature of education, and, uh, you know, I think one thing that's informed my view and uh, my, my wife's view about education is kind of the classical approach where you have this three part process of training the mind. And you've got the, the grammar stage, which is, you know, kind of the elementary age. You've got the, the logic stage where you're teaching kids really then how, how to think. Um, but then that fourth stage, which is typically high school, uh, is the rhetoric stage. And that's where we need that. That's where in education, you're helping them articulate. You're helping them take the facts and the truth, put it together with good, reasonable thinking, and then articulate arguments and, and, and articulate the truth. And I think that's a real missing piece in a lot of our discipleship with young people. And it is one of the key ways that you can motivate a young person. Now, um, when you take, I've seen it time and time again, when we take a, a young person on these trips, and so our biblical trip, we, we focus on, you know, theology and scripture, and we take students to Salt Lake City, Utah, and we just put them in situations where they have to talk to Mormons. And I have seen students go out and maybe talk to a Mormon who seems to know their Bible way better than the student. Mm. And really, in one sense, uh, uh, just owns the kid, if you mm -hmm. will, right? In student language, mm -hmm. they get owned mm -hmm. and they come back. And of course, sometimes they might get discouraged by that. And so we, we, we encourage them, but we, what we try to help them do is help them see, well, what does that reveal? It reveals that you don't know the, the scriptures. You don't know Christian truth, maybe as thought as well as you thought you did. Mm -hmm. And for almost all the students, this becomes motivation because they know we're going to, we're going to go out and talk to more Mormons the next day. Yeah. So I don't have to tell them what to do. They <laughs> go find their books. They go find the, you know, the, the, the training books that we've used. They go get their, the book of Mormon out or whatever, the Mormon scriptures. And then they do their homework and they research and they prep and then they ask questions. And they're so teachable at that point because they know that, yeah, they're going back out. And so I think sometimes with a very maybe apathetic, comfortable American church mm -hmm. and youth groups that just fit that mold as well, one of the best ways to motivate them is put them in those challenging situations. In fact, yeah, one of my uh, mentors, uh, mentor to many of us, JP Moreland, mm -hmm. right? He said, uh, I remember him saying, if you want to grow, uh, 
purposely put yourself in uncomfortable situations. Yeah. And so that's what we're doing. We're purposely putting these kids in uncomfortable situations that ends up motivating growth in them. And it's amazing at the end of these trips, they grow leaps and bounds more than any youth program I have ever seen hmm. in my over 25 years of working in youth ministry or with youth ministry. I've just seen, I haven't seen anything this effective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I used to work for JP, actually. I was an undergrad at Biola. That's part of how I discovered uh, my, my interest in Christian apologetics was focusing on uh, his life of mind class and photocopying things for that um, in, at, at Talbot. Well, you mentioned these trips being a motivating factor when you get people out uh, in front of actual peers, actual other people, um, but you have some written materials as well that you have to fill up beforehand um, to kind of generate the need as well. Tell us about those, like the written portion. Uh, the written portion of the immersive experiences? Yeah. Or... Well, um, one thing that we have put together is what we call student guidebook. Mm -hmm. And so what the, the, the guidebook does is it guides them through the whole training process all the way through the, the, the trip so that students walk away with a notebook filled with resources. Mm. But one of the first things that we do is we have them take uh, it, kind of an evaluation survey mm -hmm. that asks some questions about uh, their, their biblical knowledge, about their apologetics knowledge. We also ask them questions about kind of rating themselves in terms of their comfort level in sharing the gospel or engaging about a cultural issue. So they fill that out before they ever start the training or the trip. And then we also have them fill that out at the end of it as well, after the trip's done, so they can really actually even see their own growth. Mm -hmm. And we'll take students on the, the biblical immersive experience to Utah. And I mean, we're talking solid groups, like solid Christian you know, kids, we would say, are, are committed. Mm -hmm. And it no longer surprises me how many of those committed Christian kids can't name a single Bible verse from memory that points to one of the great, you know, doctrines of Christianity, like, uh, like the Trinity or, mm. uh, you know, salvation uh, by grace through faith. They just don't know where in scripture these things are taught at all. And mm -hmm. so they'll leave those things blank. And then that, that, so that's motivating for them to do something like that, to be tested just on mm -hmm. their knowledge. Uh, and then we do, we do the training and in the training, there's videos they watch, but we require them to read books. There's at least one book that we require per uh, trip, but then they also have to take tests and we require that they, they score 70% or higher in these short answer tests and uh, if they don't, they have to retake the test and, uh, you know, pass with a 70% before that, you know, they can go on these trips. Mm -hmm. So that's a, another way for us to kind of motivate them, also raise that bar. And what we found is that when we raise that bar for young people, that's also motivating as well because they feel dignified. They don't feel mm -hmm. like we're treating them like kids, but they're, you know, they're young adults yeah. and we treat them as such. And so we find kind of that whole training process is very motivating for young people. Mm -hmm. Now, it probably might, it might differ if you're taking students to Berkeley or to Salt Lake City, but what would you say are the top three to five questions that students come back with? Like, well, I was not prepared for that one and I really need to get prepared. Oh, that's a good question. Top three to five. Um, well, I, there's always the, 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 the relativistic views about truth 
Mm-hmm. that young people are trying to navigate. And of course, most people who hold relativistic views will contradict themselves in the very same you know, sentence, <laughs> the same conversation. So I think learning how to navigate that and, and get people to understand the nature of objective truth is, a, is that's certainly a big one. And that's just so foundational because then that undergirds uh, moral issues um, you know, and things like that. So I, I'd say that's a big one. I think the, the problem of pain and suffering is another big one. Mm-hmm. And often in these conversations, so when we go on to Berkeley's campus, we have, we've, we've got these, uh, what we call conversational surveys that we've developed. And they're not just simple yes, no, uh, you know, questions, but they're open-ended questions. So they, 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 uh, allow for conversation to develop. And the goal is to get off the survey and, and to just let the conversation flow. And that's typically what happens. And so we have students who will sit down and they'll end up talking to a Berkeley student that he just met and they'll have an hour long conversation, uh, hour and a half long conversation about the life's most important issues about the gospel. But in those conversations, there's also often a personal turn where the person will open up about maybe some pain that they've experienced. And this ends up being an obstacle for them. Uh, to, you know, uh, the gospel or to belief in God. So navigating that as well, uh, I think is a, is a, is a big one. And then you'll get your, your kind of your default, uh, you know, science and faith are incompatible kind of questions. Um, but we, you know, we, we kind of direct some of that with the questions uh, in terms of topics. We direct it with the kind of questions that we ask. But I'd say maybe those, those three would be some big ones. But it just, you just get so many different ones mm-hmm. because you're just talking to all these different individuals who have you know, different backgrounds and different experiences and different ideas. So one of the things that we really try to help young people do is learn how to think, not just kind of give them answers pat answers to, to get out there. And when they learn how to think that really helps them to navigate even challenges that they're not maybe haven't prepared it, you know, explicitly for. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast. I am its host, Amber Cullum. Each week, I sit down with a guest to discuss hard truths and the unwavering grace of God they've experienced while journeying in God's kingdom here on earth. You'll hear from guests like Jen Wilkin, Jamie Ivey, Andy Crouch, and Scott McKnight. Listen to these conversations and more by searching Grace Enough Podcast on your favorite listening app or by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com. Now, working with Gen Z, this was a generation that was, uh, it had some of the highest rates of anxiety and depression, even pre-COVID, and there can be a lot of despair um, before they're they're even willing to go out and talk to other people um, to to despair about the way the world is right now. And uh, you wrote a book with John Stone Street called A Practical Guide to Culture, Helping the Next Generation Navigate Today's World, and the student version as well called A Student's Guide to Culture. And I like the idea of don't mistake the moment for the story in there. Unpack that for us, because I think uh, youth pastors and and pastors need to understand that concept to begin to engage uh, Gen Z at this time, especially. Yeah, well, it, you know, often uh, as Christians, we, we focus on the moment that we're in, right? We live in a particular 
cultural moment and there are unique cultural challenges. And I think there are a lot of Christians who feel like the, the cultural challenges right now are at such a degree and intensity uh, and, and we have to address those, of course, but that, that can be overwhelming when you start looking around the world, you start looking around your culture, you see what's going on, and uh, you can despair. And th- this is where it's so important for us as believers to step back. And I, and I think this is where it's important for us as we disciple our young people. We need to step back and say, okay, wait a second, this one singular cultural moment is part of a larger story, right? That starts in Genesis chapter one. And then to lay out that story and to give some appropriate context for my life, this particular culture, the challenges that we're facing and see that, oh, you know, actually when we look at the larger story, there's, there's a couple things that emerge. Number one, uh, Christians have had it a lot worse than we have, <laughs> you know, in, uh, we, we probably have it better off than probably 99% of the Christians who have ever walked this planet. And so that's a helpful perspective, but also number two, it helps you to, to realize that God's story, God's truth is continuing to march on. Uh, we know how the story ends. Uh, and we know that 2000 years ago that, uh, Jesus walked bodily out of a grave and no cultural moment, no cultural challenge will ever be able to put him back in. And so of all people, we should be, uh, the ones who exude hope and this optimism, because we know how the story ends. We know that Christ, our King, will come back and uh, will conquer sin and death and will eventually uh, make all things new. He will restore all things. So we live out of that, 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 that story versus just the, the, the particular moment. And that allows us to live with hope because we, because we know that there is a, a, a wonderful, amazing, beautiful ending to all this, but it also allows us to uh, live out of hope because it gives us this larger cause to live for. And that, I think, is one of the things that we just see a crisis in our culture is uh, we become so self-absorbed, so uh, nihilistic, you know, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, narcissistic, and we don't live for anything bigger than ourselves. And that is one of the keys to uh, happiness. I mean, it, it reminds me of JP's book, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the Lost Virtue of Happiness. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, we have seen just such an epidemic of anxiety yes. and depression and loneliness and, and sadness in our culture. And a lot of it's connected to the fact that people don't have any transcendent cause to live for. And of course mm-hmm. the kingdom of God is that, that, that cause. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's even pre COVID, right. And then COVID has just made, made it all uh, come up to the surface and, and so much more obvious in the lives of so many people. Uh, but to have that hope and really uh, approach our conversations with the gospel is actually good news and it's to be presented in a positive light and to share that hope. Um, that's something that, that we can help, uh, teenagers be able to do. So yeah, talk- oh, can I say, let me say yeah. one more thing about this, because I think this connects back to our trips mm-hmm. and why the, tr- the immersive experiences are so powerful. Because if you, if you sit back and you think about it, right, what, what is the, what is the, the primary purpose of the new Testament church? It's really to live on mission for Jesus. It's the great commission. So we have that cause there. 
Now let's go back and let's evaluate uh, most, let, let's evaluate all of our church programs and church activity. How much is being given to that cause? And as I look at youth ministry, almost zero oftentimes. And we spend so much time behind the four walls of the church. And so it's kind of like for any athletes out there, think about like, you know, spending your time as a bench warmer the entire season, right? You're just not as bench warmers just are not as committed. They're not as excited or passionate about the game. But when you Mm -hmm. become a starter and you get on that field, man, it lights you up. And, uh, and even if you get knocked around, then you go back to practice with more focus and uh, attention so that you can go back out into the game again and even be more effective. And in the same way, we have our young people sitting on the bench for the first 18 years of their life, if not longer. I would say most Christian adults are, are, are sitting on the bench. We got, we've got to get in the game. When we get in the game and live our life for the cause of Christ, for the cause of the gospel, and we start sharing the gospel mm-hmm. with people, it lights us up. And I think this is the message of the book of Philippians. Uh, the joy is a byproduct of this church and Paul and their partnership in the cause of the gospel. And I think that's why these trips light students up because it's for the, for, for many of them, it's the very first time they've ever gone and shared the gospel. Mm-hmm. And then they're going out day after day, sharing the truth, sharing the gospel, engaging for the cause of Christ. And they just get lit up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've seen that as well. I used to be a youth pastor in Alameda in Northern California. Oh, and yeah. uh, I was also on the, uh, was a debate coach for uh, JSA, Junior States of America, when I was at a, a Christian school, and we would, we would go and debate people on uh, conservative issues. And actually, there was only there was a Catholic school, and there was our school, and we were the only ones who would debate the conservative side. So like everyone hated us, but they were happy that we were there, <laughs> or else there'd be no one to debate. But uh, just yeah. to get the students uh, talking one on one with these people, and and really. Uh, putting into practice the things that we talk about in the classroom. That, that's really where it's at. Well, we talked about helping people engage with faith. Let's talk about culture a little bit in terms of, um, let's start with entertainment. As we engage with music and movies, how do you approach helping young people engage music and movies with, uh, with a biblical worldview? Yeah. Well, really any issue that we're going to take, I think it starts with a larger worldview issue. So sometimes we will approach um, issues, we'll we'll, we'll kind of take them in isolation. So entertainment or social media or gender identity or whatever the kind of the Mm -hmm. hot topic is. And we, we certainly need to deal with the issue, but first we need to step back and we need to really, I think, ground young people in the larger Christian worldview. And this is where the, that issue is framed by the larger Christian worldview. So answering questions like, you know, where do we come from? The origin question, or what does it mean to be human? You know, the identity question or questions of meaning or morality, or, you know, what happens when I die? Those all big questions are absolutely vital uh, to frame then dealing with a, part- a particular issue like entertainment, because you really... Uh, unless you can answer the question, you know, wait, who made us and what did he make us for? And uh, what does it mean to be human? You're, you're going to get lost in that issue of entertainment because you've got to have these bigger worldview questions answered to frame, frame that. Because 
how, how do I approach entertainment? What should I consume? What should I not consume? Well, it depends on how you answer the question, what it means to be human, you know, and what, the, what, what's the meaning of life. So I think that's the first step. So it's, it's, it's not actually addressing that specific issue. It's, you know, kind of building out that framework in which we can answer that, that issue. So that's why worldview training is just absolutely so vital uh, mm -hmm. for our young people. So that's the starting point. And now then I've got this framework where I can start talking about the issue of entertainment. And, and this is where I think we as Christians need to expand our categories a little bit more. We often talk about things in terms of their moral rightness or moral wrongness, which is a very important category. And, and that would be one of the categories we'd bring to the table and say, okay, uh, you know, just the content of the entertainment itself and looking at whether it's in the, the categories that, you know, I talk about with my own kids and that we talk about at Maven are kind of those three transcendentals, right? Truth, goodness, and beauty as a way to evaluate the content is what this piece of entertainment is, is the message. Number one, you discern the message, but then number two, does that message say things that are true um, does it promote goodness? And also, is it a, a, a beautiful piece of art? Uh, because there might be, you know, and, and the Christians are kind of infamous for creating things that are true and, and have a lot of goodness, but they're just ugly <laughs> or they're cheesy, right? <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we want to bring all three, three of those things together in evaluating our, our entertainment. So there's the content aspect of it and the moral rightness and wrongness and, and filtering those things and helping young people always to remember that whether they're young or whether you're an adult, you are always shaped by the voices and the culture and the people around you. I mean, there's just no getting away from peer pressure, right? Uh, even if you're an adult. Uh, so that's, I think, one way we help young people. But then I think we also have to help them with... Uh, kind of expanding those categories to evaluate and asking whether or not something like entertainment and the modes by which we view entertainment are just, just neutral. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, watching a movie itself is not immoral or moral. We might say it's amoral, right. But is the act of watching a movie and how we watch a movie neutral in terms of how it influences us? And so I think that's what one thing we, we, we want to talk to our young people about, too, is the way that culture now um, has uh, shapes us is by just presenting things as normal. And so the normal way to watch a piece of entertainment is to put your, you know, your AirPods in, put your headphones on, plug it into that iPad or that laptop or your smartphone, and then to view something on uh, Netflix, right? And, and to get young people to think about how different it is today than it once was. So go back 20, 30 years, how did we primarily watch a movie? Well, we'd maybe call up some friends or go with family members. We'd get in a car. We'd drive to a fixed location called a movie theater. We'd go into that movie theater after purchasing our tickets. And guess what? There would be other people from the community that would show up there that we didn't even know. There'd be a large screen that everybody in the theater could view at the same time. So there's a shared experience. And then afterwards, you typically don't, you know, go to a movie with other people. So then afterwards you're interacting, you might even go out for a meal or, uh, you know, go sit around and, and talk about the movie. So the very different think about the differences between <clears throat> those two different acts. Mm -hmm. One is very isolating. 
it cuts you, it actually cuts you off from other people. Whereas the other one is more uh, oriented around relationships. One is very private and actually even secretive. It can be very secretive where the other one is public. Uh, there, I might not sit and watch something knowing all these other people are around me. So there's kind of this form of accountability hmm. versus if I know no one's around, no one can see, hmm. I can clear my, my history. No one will ever know. I might watch things without that kind of accountability that I, I wouldn't watch otherwise. And so, so the, the, just the viewing of entertainment is not neutral. This, the, the way we watch it today can nudge us in directions, push us in directions that uh, aren't healthy for us, that um, could really actually uh, harm us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I think that's part of the conversation with young people. So there's the moral aspect of it. And then there's also kind of the uh, cries from the public square uh, portion of it, where you, where you hear uh, what people are saying, what they're thinking, where they're at. And uh, it's a way for us to connect with the culture as well, whether it's, uh, you know, you need to calm down or a Marvel movie or the, the latest Star Wars uh, show or whatever it is uh, that we can actually take a look at these things and see where people have those universal human longings that are, that are actually being answered by the gospel. Oh, absolutely. That's a whole nother aspect of it yeah, is, yeah. hey, how do these things connect back? How do these, uh, the, these messages point back to these universal longings that human beings have for truth, goodness, and beauty that ultimately uh, must be grounded in God. Could you give us an example of maybe one time where you brought a, a movie in or a clip into a, a youth group setting and, and had a discussion about it? Yeah, let's see. What are uh, some of the movie clips I've, I've done before? Um, well, I, I, I like to hold up examples that are not just, you know, the bad examples. Because I think we... We as Christians, and especially those of us who think about worldview and apologetics, and you know, we can sometimes be overly critical. And so I think we, we, we need to teach kind of the no's. What are the things that we say no to? But I also think we need to hold up those things that we can say yes to as well. And so one of the, the my, you know, ex- examples I love to hold up are Pixar films as examples of things that we can say yes to. If you look at Pixar films, so many of those films have these incredible virtues that get played out on the screen. And so you look at something like Toy Story. Toy, Toy Story paints a beautiful picture of friendship and loyalty and sacrifice. You know, what does it mean to be a friend? And I think that's one thing we, we, we can hold up. I love, uh, I love showing a clip from Up the first few minutes of up and how it tells that kind of that story of this committed couple, mm-hmm. Carl and Ellie, right. And living in um, uh, just this faithful marriage through the ups and the downs. And it just being such a rich picture of uh, God's design for marital, marital love. Um, so I think those, those are some of the examples I, I like to hold up for students. Most students have seen Pixar movies, so they, you know, they resonate with that mm-hmm. and, uh, and it gives a beautiful picture and it's done very well by Pixar studios. Yes. Well, we are coming to the end of our time together, but before we land the plane, uh, like you tell us what Maven actually means and then how people can connect with you. 
Yeah, well, a mave, it's, a, it's actually a Yiddish word. And maven means, uh, refers to somebody who's knowledgeable or an expert in some field and then seeks to pass that along to other people. And that really describes what our vision is, vision is at Maven. We want to help not only equip young people to be mavens of truth, uh, so to speak, but uh, we also want to equip parents and grandparents and youth pastors and pastors and Christian educators to, to be the same and to do the same with their young people. And so that's why we, uh, we, we came up with the name Maven because we want to, we want to, you know, know what we believe, why we believe it, why it then matters and then pass that on to the next generation. Mm -hmm. So how can people connect with you if they're interested maybe in learning about the uh, trips that you do and getting involved with your ministry? Yeah, they can go to our website, which is maventruth.com and uh, find all the information they need about our, our immersive experiences. They can connect to our online resources there as well, get uh, information about our live conferences and uh, our speaking. All right. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us, Brett. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime. And we thank you so much for joining us on the table today as well. Please do follow us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. It really does help people find out more about the podcast and listen, and it certainly helps us uh, get this information out to more people. And hey, let's be friends on social. If you want to connect with me, you can at me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. I'm at Apologetics Guy on all of my socials. I'm Mikel Del Rosario. And I hope that you'll join us next time on The Table, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.